beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there were no seats in the temple. The tasks of the priests were never done. There was always one more sacrifice to be made. There was never enough blood. Once per year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies was a picture of the Garden of Eden. In the temple, there were ornaments embroidered and sculpted, which evoked the garden. There were flowers and fruits, and there was the lampstand fashioned like a kind of tree. And there in the temple was where the glory of God dwelt. And the Holy of Holies was a picture of the place where man could have communion with God, but it was also a picture of the fact that Adam and Eve were expelled from the presence of God. There were the cherubim. They were sculpted with gold on top of the ark. They were embroidered on the curtain, and they were guardians of God's holiness. And they told sinners, stay out. Sin and sinners cannot remain in the presence of a holy God. So for us to, to come back into the presence of God, sin would have to be dealt with first. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And that's what all the sacrifices were about. And that's why once per year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies on the great day of atonement. But he could only enter for a moment. He had to place blood on the atonement cover on top of the ark. And then he had to leave and he had to stay out. And now a whole new year of sacrifices would begin. There was never enough blood. The way into the presence of God remained blocked. Until Jesus came. The Lord Jesus brought the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And he brought it not into the Holy of Holies there in Jerusalem. That was just a picture of the real thing. He didn't even go back to the Garden of Eden because even the garden was a picture of the real thing. The real thing is the real Holy of Holies in heaven. This is the place where God holds court in the universe. And when he had made his once for all sacrifice, the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven and he walked right by those cherubim, those guardians of God's holiness, and he walked right up to the throne of the universe. And he sat down. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 1.3, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down. He could do that because finally the way back to the Father is open and sin is dealt with. It is forgiven, it is forgotten, and we can come home. And because sin is dealt with, in Christ the human race can get back to doing what we were called to do in the first place. Like Psalm 8 speaks, crowned with glory and honor, we can have dominion over all creation. 
Last week, we heard the gospel of the ascension. And today, we hear the gospel of the session of Christ. That he sits at the right hand of God. I have the privilege of proclaiming to you the gospel of God's glorious, of Christ's glorious session at the right hand of God. We'll see two things, the fact of this glory and the benefit of this glory. So first, the fact of the glory of Christ's session at the right hand of God. The word session is the theological, technical word, that he's sitting at the right hand of God. Adam failed on every count. In him we sinned and we felt short, we fell short of the glory of God. In him we, we turned the glory of God into shame. Adam failed as a prophet. He accepted the twisting of God's word. He failed to believe God's word. Adam failed as a priest. He allowed the Holy of Holies to be defiled by the entrance of sin and evil. Adam failed as a king. He neglected to protect his family and the kingdom from the attacks of the enemy. Instead, he betrayed the world into the hands of the kingdom of darkness. And then he died, and his body was placed into the earth, and he returned to the dust. The Lord Jesus Christ undid all that. He undid the fall. He is the last Adam. He took all the judgment, all the curse, all the death on himself. He dealt with sin. He washed it away. He turned our shame into glory. And he broke forth from the earth on Resurrection Sunday, and he was exalted to the right hand of God. And this is the opposite of the fall. This is the undoing of the fall. This is not falling short of the glory of God, but this is being taken up into the glory of God. And of course, our Lord has eternal glory as the eternal one and only Son of the Father. But now as the head of the new human race, as very God of very God, but also as true man of true man, as the last Adam, a human being is given the kingdom, the power, and the glory in a way which makes the first Adam's pre-fall glory pale in significance. And the Bible hardly has the words to describe it. It pushes human language to its very limits to describe the glory of our risen, ascended Lord as he sits at God's right hand. Think of Philippians 2.9. The apostle describes it in this way. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, the apostle again powerfully describes the supremacy, the glory, the preeminence of Christ. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christ is glorious on every count. As our glorious high priest, he entered the holy of holies itself. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God, and right there is the proof that he brought the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He doesn't have to leave. He doesn't have to stay out. He can be there because he has dealt with sin. Oh, glory. And as our glorious king, it is he of whom we sing in Psalm 24, the very gates of heaven lift up their heads and they rejoice as they open before him. He is supreme over every authority. His is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. He is king. Oh, glory. And just before his ascension, he told his disciples in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And based on that authority, as our glorious prophet, Christ sends out his apostles into all the world to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of the nations, to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to live as faithful children of the kingdom of God. Oh, glory. And seated on the throne of the universe, as King of kings and Lord of lords, is a real human being, a real man, a real human body, which even in its glorified state still has its origin from the earth, the dust of earth on the throne of heaven. The redeemed human race has a new, glorious, living, victorious covenant head. And the apostle speaks about that in in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through to 23, where he says, looking to verse 20 to 23, where he says that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Child of God, you share in the glory of Christ your head. The Bible says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's right in the next chapter, 2 verse 6 of Ephesians. Christ's glorious session is for you. God placed all things under his feet for you. God appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That means for you, believer. Sovereign over all the universe, sovereign over all time and space, sovereign over all history, sovereign over your whole life, 
sovereign over the tiniest details of your everyday. Christ is on the throne in power and glory. And he directs and governs all things for you. Every event in the universe, every event in history, every event in politics and international relations and economics and public health, he governs and directs for the overarching goal of all of history, to prepare his beloved church for glory and to bring her in to everlasting glory in the presence of the Father in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what it means that Christ is on the throne. As we consume the news, and as we get the idea that there's all kinds of stuff happening in the world, and we're just kind of this little minority sitting off to the side, and what does it all have to do with us? Know this, that whatever Christ is doing in this world, He is doing it with you in mind. That's the fact of Christ's glory. Let's look at the benefit of his glory now. The glory of his session at the right hand of God. In the olden times, a victorious king or general would return from the wars laden down with the spoils of war. He would have this victory parade. He would throw gold and silver coins into the crowd as he paraded into the city. And his glorious victory meant that the citizens would receive rich and generous gifts. The Bible uses this metaphor to describe the triumphal entry of Christ into heaven and his sitting down at the right hand of God. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter refers to the greatest gift that Christ pours out from heaven. Acts 2.33, he says this, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then in Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 12, he says this. He describes other precious gifts by which the victorious, uh, which the victorious ascended Christ gives by his Spirit. Ephesians verse 8 it says this therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men here the apostles citing and quoting psalm 68 in the greek translation he's describing the ascension as a victorious procession a victorious victory parade and the victorious Christ is giving gifts to men. Now, what are these gifts? Well, we, we go to verse 11 and we see what these gifts are. He gave gifts to men. What are these gifts? Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, what do you notice about all of these gifts that I mentioned here? Did you notice that they're all focused on teaching the Word of God? They're all focused on uniting us in the faith, in helping us to know Christ, helping us to mature in Christ, helping us to become more like Christ. And that's the public policy of Christ the King as he rules the universe. He wants us to be united in knowing him, loving him, and being transformed to be like him. Because he rules the universe, 
He is able to direct every resource to focus on that goal that we would stop being like the first Adam in his death and corruption, but rather that we would more and more be like the last Adam in his life and glory. So the scripture says that the offices in the church are heavenly gifts from the Holy Spirit Heavenly gifts poured out upon the church from the glorious and exalted Christ. Do we recognize these gifts? The Lord Jesus sends them to you, elders, deacons, preachers, to minister to you, to serve you in the power of his word and spirit. From his throne in heaven, he sends preachers into every corner of the globe. He sovereignly opens and shuts doors for the gospel, and he directed all of history and every detail of your personal biography so that the word would come to you, so that it would be preached in your ears, so that it would change your heart. And he has poured out every heavenly gift upon us so that through the ministry of preachers and deacons and elders, we might come to see ever more clearly the breathtaking vision of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the apostle describes it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I know I quote that verse a lot. I just find it so incredibly beautiful, what God is doing in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's one degree of glory to another. In, in other words, it just gets better and better and better. So that's one benefit of Christ's glorious session at the right hand of the Father. He pours out heavenly gifts on us, and those gifts He uses to make us more like Jesus. But there's another benefit that Scripture teaches us, and the Catechism therefore confesses. We confess that second, by His power, He defends and preserves us against all enemies. And we have enemies. That's a fact. The devil, the world, and our own flesh, our own old nature— never cease to attack us. It is Christ's will that we share in his life and glory. It is the devil's desire that we share in his death and shame. And this world is a battleground, and don't we know it? Every day we battle. We battle against our own flesh. The works of the flesh cling to us. And our old nature desperately tries to live on as we try to mortify it. We try to kill it. We try to put it to death. It doesn't want to die. It wants to sit on the throne of our hearts. It wants to tell us what to say and think and do. And so we battle. And the devil schemes for our destruction. And he tries to turn every trial, every affliction into a temptation which will trip us up and cause us to fall and turn us away from God. And the world is a battleground. We are assailed on every level and from every direction. The world tries to lure us with sensuality and worldly pleasures and worldly vanity. And if that doesn't work, 
Then the world tries to intimidate the church with cruel persecution, with hateful personal attacks, with cunning schemes to shake our confidence in Christ and subject us to the oppression of evil. Child of God, Christ is king. Christ is on the throne. The Lord Jesus knows very well how wave after wave of evil and wickedness assail the church and the life of the individual believer. And Christ is not just sitting there in heaven doing nothing, just kind of watching and waiting and wondering how it's going to turn out. He's not looking on from afar and doing nothing. Christ is king. Christ is sovereign. Christ governs the universe. You see how the scripture describes him in Psalm number 2. We, we sang Psalm 2. All the nations are his heritage. The ends of the earth are his possession. The kings of the earth may conspire together against the Lord and his anointed. But Christ is on the throne. And he will take those scary political powers and those scary political movements which are hell-bent on canceling the church and canceling God's children. And he will break them with a rod of iron and he will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And see how the psalmist prophesies about our risen and ruling Lord in that messianic psalm that we sang, Psalm 110. We, we read it together. The messianic priest king sits on the throne at God's right hand. He rules in the midst of his enemies. And his people assemble before him in holiness. And the young people willingly form up to march behind him into battle because he is a warrior king. And he shatters kings who stand against him. And he judges the nations. And he has no time to lounge around in the luxury and the comfort of the palace. He is busy with battle after battle as he wages holy war. You see how it ends, that psalm? The warrior king only has time to stop, dismount from his horse, stoop to take a quick drink from the brook by the way, and then it is on. On he goes into battle. He's got work to do. Child of God, that's what Christ Jesus is doing right now in heaven, from heaven. He is directing the holy war. We are living during the greatest mop-up operation in history. The victory has been won. Christ is on the throne. The kingdom of darkness has been defeated. And so Christ is sending his heralds to all the nations, proclaiming amnesty and forgiveness for all who were in rebellion. And there are still pockets of resistance. But these will either submit or they will be destroyed. In terms of the story of the Lord of the Rings, we are living in the time of the scouring of the Shire. Nothing and no one can withstand the power of Christ the King as he establishes his kingdom and destroys his enemies. Beloved, he's not waiting idly in heaven for the last day to arrive. He is busy, he is active, he is waging war until every knee has bowed and every tongue has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to how Scripture describes our exalted and ruling Christ the King. Revelation 19, 11 through to 16. Then I saw heaven opened. 
And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arranged in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That sharp sword going out from his mouth is the word that goes into all the world and cuts to life and cuts to death. This is your God. This is your Lord. This is your Savior. This is the King of glory. This is the risen, exalted, ruling Lord of glory. This is the one who loves you. This is the one who died for you. He sits on the throne of the universe. And he shines with more glory than the suns of a billion universes. And he governs the universe for you. He is sovereign over politics, powers, and pandemics for you. And he lavishes you with gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he defends and preserves you against all enemies. This is Christ the King. Seated at the right hand of God, believe in Him, confess Him, submit to Him, find refuge in His power and protection, and worship Him, King, all-glorious, Lord of hosts, Almighty. Amen.